It wasn't the fancy house and the vacation house in Malibu that blinded me. It was the fact that we were not taught anything about money. Zero. If we wanted it, it was given to us. We never had to earn it. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you're a fan of the show, make sure you leave a review, rate the show, and share it on social media. It does a, a great deal to help us build our audience. And by the way, if you like some of the guests that you've heard and you have some ideas on others that might be a great fit, please email me directly at rob at robeigner.com. That's R-O-B at R-O-B-A-I-G-N-E-R.com and uh, send me some guest ideas. All right, thanks so much for listening. Welcome, Clear Choices listeners. Rob Eigner here. Have a very interesting story, sort of a riches to rags, back to riches kind of story. Terry Steinbeck is my guest today. She began her career in the demanding, fast-paced field of entertainment at Paramount Pictures and worked for some massive names in the business like Jerry Bruckenheimer and Robert Everts. In 1992, she got her real estate license and had worked primarily in the uh, Beverly Hills area uh, in her career, she you know she grew up in the in the Malibu area, and you know she had amazing stamina and energy and and a love for her business, and had done very well. Uh, but there was kind of a blip on her radar. Uh, she currently lives in Cheviot Hills, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, she has a son uh, and a grandchild in Sherman Oaks, but there was um, something in between that picturesque story that uh, kind of sets her apart from uh, from the normal L.A. story. So, Terry, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you, Rob. It's nice to be here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what that blip is. I kind of want to let you have the, the reveal. So, you know, you've got a great career going on now. Um, you had a very, uh, sounds like, stereotypical L.A. start to your life and your career. What happened, uh, you know, approximately 10 years ago that was a little bit different? Well, two things happened. First, 2008 happened. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, that was the market crash of 2008 when all the houses went into foreclosure and nobody could get loans. What I did is 2005, six, seven, I was riding the real estate wave and buying fashionable purses and going out to lunch and had tons of money. And in 2008, business stopped. And my idea was to crawl into bed, be paralyzed, pull the sheets over my head and drink wine. There was no money coming in. And my nut every month was huge. I had a son in college. I had a house. I had a very fancy car and huge credit card debt. And everything went away. There was no income. And I didn't know how to do anything else other than real estate. So um, I had to really sit down and make some serious choices because I did not plan ahead. And so what kind of talk to us, if I can just flash forward, talk to us about what the rock bottom was. 
Well, the real rock bottom was, thank goodness for an ex-father-in-law who I sat and cried over lunch to. And he said, file bankruptcy. I had no money. I literally had $400 in my account from making about four or 500,000 a year. And that comes from the not planning ahead and just thinking that that income was never going to go away. When I first got my real estate license, everyone told me, save, save, take half of your income and put it of every commission check and put it into savings and spend the rest. I, of course, never did that because I always thought that I had magic fingers and everything was always going to work my way. Seriously, because it always did. You spent kind of everything you made, basically. Everything I made did not even know what a savings account was. Was it mainly lifestyle, Terry? Was it like vacations and nice houses and nice clothes and nice dinners and all that? That's what you were doing? It was that and it was ego and it was a little bit of giving money back to my clients. A lot of buying uh, dinners for eight people in fancy restaurants. I'd throw around a thousand here and a thousand there and not even think about it. And a lot of that just came from ego because it was completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so at what, at what point were you not able to sustain the house and the fancy car and the lifestyle? Like what happened? Well, I woke up one morning, looked through my mail and saw I had about three credit card bills that needed to be paid. And what I had done the month previous is wrote, they don't give them to you anymore that I know, but they they used to give you these checks that were called access checks and they came with your credit card and you could write a check, deposit it into your account. And it was like 25 or 28% interest. It was really insane. And without thinking, I was just doing that without realizing how much more debt I was racking up. So when I called the credit card company and said, I need another access check, they said, no, we won't give you one until you pay your minimum. So all of a sudden, here I am, I can't pay my credit cards, I can't pay my mortgage, put gas in my car, I've got $400 to my name. And I panicked. And thank goodness, I knew how to ask for help. And I had the right person to ask. And he said, file bankruptcy, which made me cry for a week. Then he said to quit paying everything short sale in my house. And that'll drag it on at least for three or four years until the market comes back. So I had many sleepless nights. I did that. But what I did do to make money is I ended up working at Banana Republic. Then I made scarves and sold them for Christmas gifts. And I literally did everything I could to just keep my cell phone on and my utilities on. It was a really rough two years. And so talk to us about like the things you miss the most, like going from making, you know, being in the top 1% of income at the time to, you know, working for what I'm guessing is minimum wage at Banana Republic. What was that adjustment like? Well, the adjustment was horrible. As a matter of fact, I didn't last very long at uh, Banana Republic. I had a couple of clients come in and my ego made me dive below a table and hide, which did not work for Banana Republic. But also the $11 an hour that I was getting, then they take taxes out, didn't really do anything. It didn't even pay for my cell phone. What it did do is I learned how much people were willing to pay for things. So the $50 scarves were not selling, but the $30 scarves were. So what I did is I, I went out to lunch with a girlfriend who was in a similar situation and we had to kind of figure out how we were, what we were going to do to survive for the next year or two until the market came back. And one of the things I did is I lowered people's property taxes and charged $200 for that. That was a big help because when the market crashed, people's property taxes would come down and I could go downtown and argue that they needed to 
come down to the current comp rate, which was a big help to my clients. And it kept me in touch with them. And it made me a little bit of money there. And then believe it or not, the crocheting of scarves, which I didn't sleep because I stayed up all night. That was a big deal because it happened right around October. And I sold those like crazy. I sold them to one person in my office who then told his friends and every man in town was buying them for their wives, little cashmere scarves, not a big deal, but I sold them for $30 and 35 boxed and wrapped. Of course, every man wanted them boxed and wrapped, but it was insane. So that's awesome. And that was enough to kind of keep you afloat. That was just enough to keep me afloat. And it was scary. I mean, I went to the market. I had no more credit cards. I had a debit card and I went to the market with, I don't know, $20 in my account. And it was weird to be in a supermarket knowing that I could only spend up to $20. I had never really looked at the prices of things on the shelves. And so I had sat there with my calculator and figured out when I got up to about $19. So so when you, uh, and that's just got to be a very difficult uh, adjustment. You know, so you said one of your challenges or choices you made that got you into this problem was not planning, overspending, ego. Was there anything else that you look at that's and you say, wow, that was like a really pivotal moment that led me down that path? Well, it really was. And to be honest with you, when I said that I crawled into bed and crawled into a bottle of wine, that was probably one of the worst things I could have done. And one of the things I did do was get sober and get clear headed. And I wasn't a huge drinker, but boy, when something like that and that fear took over, I wanted to hide and make it go away in any way possible. And I found out that the drinking really helped. And then I also realized that not drinking was going to help me clear headed, figure out what I'm going to do, because this was definitely temporary. I knew it was temporary and I knew I was going to get through it as long as I did it with a clear head. So you never, you never lost faith. You think even in the darkest, most challenging moment uh, of this period in your life, did you, did you ever lose faith or were you always hopeful that it would change? I did lose faith in the beginning, but that only lasted a couple of weeks. And that was when I was behind closed doors, alone, curled up in my bed, in such fear that I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I was shaking, I had nightmares that the police were at my door knocking saying, we're taking your house now, which of course did not happen for four years. But your head just takes you in horrible, horrible places when you're going through something that you've never gone before. I grew up comfortably in Brentwood and we had a vacation house in Malibu. I never thought about money in my life. And this was a first. Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast? This episode of Clear Choices is brought to you in partnership with Libsyn, powerful podcast hosting, the podcast hosting, distribution, and monetization platform since 2004. Use promo code CHOICES and you can get over one month of free services. Go to Libsyn.com, promo code CHOICES. And, um, And so how would you say... You got out. What was the turning point that made you start going, ah, I'm starting to ascend again. I'm starting to get out of this hole. Well, when I first uh, got sober and I started going to meetings, I met people. And I've always been very good at asking for help through my friends and relatives um, that gave me great advice. I filed bankruptcy by myself with the help of a lawyer friend of mine. He gave me the forms and said, you can figure it out. You've had a couple of years of law school. And I did instead of paying another attorney to do that. I think when I when my 
beautiful Range Rover was repossessed. Two people in a meeting I went to said, you know, my kids just went to college here, use their car. I had help from people left and right. I had a real estate agent loan me money, which made me get in my car and cry. But a year and a half later, when my when I got my first escrow, the first thing I did with that commission check was return the money to him. And he was shocked because once he gave it to me, he took it as it was gone. It was the first thing I did. And I think that the honesty level that I had or whatever, the way people viewed me, they wanted to help me. And if everybody, I, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask, what was the dollar amount that this gentleman had loaned you? It's embarrassing. It was $200. He pulled it out of his wallet. It was his emergency $2. And uh, and so so you gave him back that 200 bucks, and he was like, wow, I never expected to see this. Never expected it. I put it in a thank you card. It was 18 months later when I sold my first house. And how did it feel to do that? Did you feel like some sort of cleansing from that? Oh, I felt like a million dollars because I knew he wasn't expecting it back. He didn't even remember giving it to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so here I'll, I'll, I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit and, and just read a very simple quote and get your reaction to it. So the definition of rock bottom will teach you the lessons that the mountaintop never will. Absolutely. I, I told my now husband that I am a different person because of what I went through. I'm a hundred percent a different person. If he met me Back in 2008, he would not have liked me. He wouldn't have wanted to date me. And when he met me in 2010, he couldn't get enough of me. And I said, I'm not the person I used to be. It has completely changed the way I think about life, about my friends, how I handle myself. And trust me, my ego is tempered. So I know you're a married woman, but let me just play a a little game. So like, if you were doing online dating and how would you describe yourself then before your husband met you? And how would you describe yourself now? <laughs> okay. Well, I never did online dating, but I would say a little bit of a spoiled brat, uh, a little jappy likes material things, uh, cute, fashionable, always up for a lot of fun. And now and now I would say adult behavior, grounded, very responsible, honest, massive integrity, uh, cute. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> the, cute the, cute, the cute stays. I agree. So, so tell me, what did you learn about money? Right. So you, you went into this saying, I spent everything I made. It was all material. It was all about ego. Now, what does your financial discipline look like? Well, it is 100% better. I actually teach some of the trainees in my office to do this. I have investments. It's not that I just take half of every commission check, but what I do is I invest things. I don't need all the material things that I used to need. I plan ahead. I don't look at how much money I have right now. I look at next week, next month. I'll give you a good example. When I lease a car, you just think of what the payment is every month. The right way to look at it is you're liable for that debt for three years. That's what you're liable for is the whole 36 months. But you never think of it that way because something could happen a year later and you're still liable for the next two years of that car. So I just look at things differently and I think ahead. I have investments now that give me money. Not huge ones, but enough to get me through. And I don't want everything today. 
I look at where I'm going to be in 10 years from now and 15 years from now. And I know that I will be self-sustaining even if I miss a couple commission checks a couple months. And, and do you and your husband, like how do you guys communicate around money as a partnership? Well, he's a business manager. So he is way above my pay grade as far as that's concerned. What he does is he manages people's money and makes sure that they're okay in the future. So he has taught me a lot. My father-in-law, who's a business owner, started teaching me. And then he sort of, my husband really took over and continued the lessons. But I take his lessons that he's taught me. And I do teach the younger people because I was 28 years old when I got my real estate license. And all the older people tried to teach me in the office. And I didn't listen. And I tell the young kids right now that are coming into this business, you're going to stay here for a long time. Life is very, very long. And 30, 40 years from now, you want to make sure that if you want to retire, you can. If you don't, you don't need to. But you want to have those choices. Let me let me ask you a question. Uh, and this is not any criticism of, you know, whatever uh, lessons you learned from your parents. But do you feel that being brought up a little bit in the lap of luxury, you know, get you said vacation house in Malibu grew up in Brentwood etc like how did that how did that blind you to being prepared to avoid the situation you ended up enduring well it wasn't the fancy house and the vacation house in Malibu that blinded me it was the fact that we were not taught anything about money zero if we wanted it it was given to us we never had to earn it um, when i turned 16 there was a car in the driveway for me Now, my friends had it completely different. They had to earn some money and their parents would match it or they had to work for it. We never had to work for anything and we're not taught anything about money, which is something that I I blame my mother for. And we we argue about it sometimes. And and you um, so you never had a job until after college or did you did you I don't even know. Did you go to college? No, I had, yes, I went to UCLA and I did have a job at 15, but I had a job at 15 at the McDonald's in Santa Monica on second in Colorado because my friends worked there. Someone's parent knew the owner and we all worked there and we did it because it was fun. And then I worked at a denim store down the street called the Corral because I wanted free clothes or the discount on the clothes, but not because somebody made me work there because it was enjoyable. And not because you really needed the money. There was no discipline around the money. It was just pocket money. You didn't save it for college or anything like that. No. And we were never taught to save. Yeah. That's one of the things um, my wife and I have been very disciplined around with our kids. So like, even if we give them a weekly allowance, 10% has to go into donations and 10% has to go into savings and then they can spend the rest. And my older son has his first job and, you know, opened up a checking account for him and part goes into savings and part goes into spending money and part goes to college and all that. So he's just, we're trying to teach him the things that you're talking about. Well, it's so important. And I'll tell you a really funny story. This is where my brain was. You can tell what a rotten, not, I don't want to say rotten kid, but I knew how to get what I want. I wanted a horse and I was 14 years old and there was some people selling this horse up the street. And uh, we lived in Hidden Hills, which is out in the Valley. And my mother said, as long as you can pay for half, I'll pay for the other half. It was one of the only things that she ever did because she really didn't want me to get the horse. So when I was 14, $250 was a lot of money. I went and told the people that own the horse and they said, well, great. Tell your mother to give you the 250 and we'll have you work off the other 250. 
And the next day I had the horse. I went and told my mother. She said, no, you've got to earn it first. I said, you never said that. <laughs> I was a lawyer at 14. Yeah, right. You twisted it around. Twisted it around. So so here's a couple of stats. I want to read you three statistics and just kind of get your feedback, response, reaction to it. Uh, first one, 72% of Americans report feeling stressed about money. Second one is nearly one in five Americans say they have either considered skipping going to a doctor because of financial concerns. And lastly, uh, this is not an all-time high for the country, but close. Currently, we have 580,000 people homeless. So, so kind of relating your experience from 2008 till you got back on your feet, kind of react to those statistics and and your, your thoughts and feedback and how it impacted you? Well, believe it or not, I completely not only relate to that, but I can feel it. And I, I know that's all true. And I don't think 100% of it is because, you know, people, because they don't save. Because some people are not able to save. When I made $400 a week working for, in the entertainment business, I lived on $400 a week. The credit card industry, I think, has ruined people with the way that people can just charge everything and not paying off your credit cards all at once. But I completely relate and understand it because I have never in my life had that kind of fear of not having any money. I saw myself homeless. When I said those few weeks where I was laying in bed with the covers pulled over my head and a bottle of booze, I literally pictured myself sleeping in an alley. I was 100% sure. And when I still had the Range Rover, I thought, thank God I have a nice car because I will be able to sleep in it. Mm -hmm. And I really, truly believed that. I thought that's where I was going to end up. So so speaking to any audience members that might be having some kind of financial crisis, either in reality or, or a concern about one, what's the, what's the advice that you would, you would give them? My advice would be exactly what I did. Grab a hold of your friends. It doesn't matter who they are. If you're homeless, grab a couple homeless people. Figure out your goals. Where do you want to be? That's what I did. We sat, we made a bunch of coffees. We sat in a park because we couldn't afford Starbucks. We sat in a park and we tried to figure out what we were good at, what we could do. And it starts slow. You know, you make $10 here and $20 there. And all of a sudden it gets a little bit more and a little bit more until you can eat better and then you can get a car. But it's very, very slow. And I think one of the biggest problems is people want everything fast. They want it now. They want immediacy. So so talk to me a little bit about that plan. So if we were to look at it on a piece of paper, you know, which we can't on a podcast, what, what, would, what would the roadmap have looked like to get Terry out of the, the hole that you found yourself in? Well, the roadmap, I mean, the steps that I did after I, after I stopped drinking, which I knew I had to do because I needed to be completely clear. I met some people at an AA meeting of all places that were also out of work because they were commissioned. Some were, one was a waiter. He got fired, I think, because the restaurant went under a couple of real estate agents, a couple insurance agents. Uh, and we all sat around at a park and talked about this and said, what are we good at? Reach out, ask for help and talk to your friends. Sometimes your family says, well, you got you into this. So you got yourself into it. So good luck to you. And maybe they're in bad place also. 
but having a group of people in the same spot that you're in is truly helpful. And everybody is good at something. So I forgot that I knew how to crochet until someone said, what can you do that's creative? And I think this girl ended up, she had two grandchildren. She was older and she ended up babysitting somebody's grandkids so that they could go to work and got a little bit of money there. Everybody has something they can do. And if you sit around and talk about it, even though you can't figure it out alone, somebody else will say, well, why don't you do this? And then you think about it. I had a friend that could not go and work in a store. She had bad legs or I I don't remember why, but she couldn't work anywhere that she had to stand up. So she ends up being a home care person for an elderly woman. All she did was cook, give her medication and read to her. So she was sitting in a chair most of the time and that paid her great money. So, so what I'm hearing is reach out for help, network, figure out something you're, you're good at. And then, you know, ultimately you didn't say this, but you said it maybe earlier, which is, you know, start living under your means, you know, not, not overspending, not, not using credit to an excessive amount where you get into trouble. Would you say those, that kind of stuff? Living within your means is paramount. I mean, that is something that I was never taught how to do. And now I do it and I've been doing it for 10 years. And um, I'll tell you, I sleep at night easily. And I know a lot of my friends right now are living beyond their means. And all they do is talk about how they're not sleeping at night. Mm-hmm. Even my sister's having problems. She's in New York, but her house is about to be foreclosed on because she forgot about a loan she got in 2010. Mm, not not tracking, not keeping track and uh, uh, paying attention to all the commitments you've made. They never sent her a bill, so she just thought it went away. <laughs> I wish it were that easy. Uh, awesome. Well, um, so talk to me now, like talk to us a little bit about the future. So here you are, you know, happily married. You've got uh, a married uh, child, grandchild. You live in a great part of Los Angeles. What do you see for yourself moving forward now the next five to 10 years? Well, I'm never leaving real estate because I still love it. But I'm actually completely shocked when I look at, you know, going backwards, my my house being foreclosed on, moving into a one-bedroom apartment from a beautiful house, then moving to a little bigger place. Then I met my husband, so I never ended up buying anything else until we decided to buy this house in Cheviot together. But remember, it was 2008 to 2010, so this is 11 years later. It didn't happen all at once. And, um, you know, my son got married in 2017 and had the grandson and built himself a beautiful house in Sherman Oaks. So, you know, I, I work every day. I have a beautiful Great Dane that I'm in love with. So I still have, now I have a new Range Rover. I have a huge dog, a huge car, a big house that, and I drive to Sherman Oaks as much as I can to see the grandkids. But my life is very simple. And I think that helps me sleep at night. And I'll tell you, nothing could be better right now. And it's, and it sounds like that's, that's a a choice that you've made, you know, to kind of wrap it up and, and tie it into a bit to the theme of the show, which is, you know, what partially what got you into trouble was, the the ego that wanted the reputation of fine clothes and fine dining and treating for unnecessary dinners and all that kind of stuff. And that's that mentality led you a little bit to the challenge that you found yourself in. And now you're more focused on simpler things and 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 things that are maybe more important than than the perception. A hundred percent. And there was a moment when I realized that I 
had no income. I had no access to my credit cards and $400. And I talked to somebody on the phone, hysterically crying. And she said, you have two choices. You can be paralyzed or you can do something about it. And of course, my first line was, there's nothing I can do. What what am I going to do? But she said, no, there's only two choices. You can go backwards, paralyzed, stay in your bed, cover your head up, bury your head in the sand, or go figure it out. Get up, get out. She goes, just get out of the house. Even walk around the block. You never know who you're going to meet. The first thing she said is get out of the house. And it was the smartest, greatest thing she said, because when I hung up with her an hour later, I was out of the house. Well, and clearly, uh, clearly that that led you down a great path. So I, I'm really uh, honored that you took the time to share this. You know, I know it's something uh, vulnerable and personal, and I, I'm sure the audience appreciates it. Uh, so I appreciate you being uh, willing to share. And uh, I think there's some great lessons in it. So thanks for being here today. Thanks, Rob. I really enjoyed it. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.